What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not. Yes, we deserve this win, man. Fox Force 5 flying high in both teams. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know, hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like, that's, that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and naturally, after I start a series titled, Is Sacramento Worse Than Whatever Team? and bring in guests when they're really slowing down. They go on a road trip and win three games in a row and then drop a close one that would have made it four against the Miami Heat. And to break down the two most recent games, um, this episode is going to feature two uh, people that cover the Miami Heat and the Toronto Raptors. And in, in the second portion of this, you'll hear from Louis Satzman, um, a, a good interview there talking about the Toronto game. But to introduce my guest for the first portion here, I have Giancarlo Navas, who is part of the Blue Wire family for Miami Heat Beat. What's going on, Giancarlo? I appreciate you coming on. Anytime, man. Blue Wire Mafia. Okay, we had a uh, we, we are we are family. We are legion. So gotta support the fam. So anytime, man. Anytime. Excited to be on. And we are recording this minutes after that game ended. Um, it, that was a nail biter down the stretch. But um, I, I'm aware, obviously, of the injury issues that that Miami has struggled with this season. That's kind of led to a slow start, and I know that's um, contributed to some rough offense. But can you walk me through going into the game kind of how Miami had been faring defensively? Um, because for Sacramento, all their positive were coming was coming on the offensive end of the floor. Um, and, and I think that Miami did a decent job slowing them down tonight. 
So the Heat defensively, they have issues going back to last season. And last season, we kind of we've hammered this point like a ton on the pod and on Twitter. Their point of attack defense has been awful, right? So naturally, a guy like Darren Fox is going to come in and he's going to absolutely shred them, as we saw in the game tonight. And they have not solved that solution because their guards are small and they can't really stay in front of anybody. Even when Goran Dragic is healthy, he's not a guy that's going to you know, really cause any trouble you know, up top in high pick and roll. Duncan Robinson, of course, he's been a much improved defender, more of a wing anyway, but you know, he, he's on guards a lot. Just can't, doesn't have the foot speed, can't keep up. Tyler Hero competes, is active, but he dies on screens, right? These guys can't get around screens. Gabe Vincent is probably their best option at point of attack defense right now, or Casey Akpala, which you saw a little bit in the first half, but, you know, Eric Spolstra, he has the shortest leash ever, which drives us defense fans crazy. But uh, they don't have a lot of options up there for guard defense. So as you kind of saw, like, they're going to rely on switching, especially late in game, uh, which I thought the Kings, by the way, did a great job of because when they were switching Bam onto De'Aaron, the Kings were just ISOing Buddy healed after that. The play would kind of blow up, any action would die, and then they'd swing the ball and Buddy would ISO, and that's a win for Miami. Uh, Kings started using guards as screeners to get poor Max Struess and Duncan on islands, and that's oh, yeah. really what got them going in the fourth. So, honestly, like, defensively, they've, they've just been struggling all year. Uh, it's It's been tough, and without Jimmy especially, like, who's – really their edge on defense. Uh, you know, Bam does his thing, but, you know, Bam's always playing two-on-one because every time there's a pick and roll, one of their guards gets jammed behind the screen, and it, it's always Bam trying to split the difference between the rim or the big behind him. So it, it's been rough. Today was today was actually good because Sacramento, you know, is a good offensive team, and, you know, I, I thought they were adequate. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was. Uh, if I wouldn't, if I wouldn't have talked to you about this, I would have thought that uh, Miami had a decent defense going into it. But obviously, yeah, they are rolling out to at least it seems in most lineups to um, subpar defenders, and and there was Huntable. definitely, yeah, there was definitely switch um, hunting there at the end, and and there was one play that Butler smartly, um, as Fox was kind of literally pointing and picking who he wanted switched onto him. Uh, Butler decided that hey you stay here I'm I'm gonna go um, and be the one um, to go follow the guy that's screening and then Fox decided to not obviously get Butler switched onto him in the closing minutes there and um, I, I guess we should start at the end because it's kind of what's fresh um, Deer and Fox 17 points in the fourth quarter um, and just an absolutely ridiculous showing I, I've wrote recently about his willingness to to take the three ball um, I I think two of his three um, made threes came at the beginning of that fourth quarter and then caused the defense to play him a little bit tighter there. Um, three of 11 from three, while I get that being discouraging to, for people, I think is actually a great sign for De'Aaron being willing and comfortable and confident to take that three ball. Um, he's doing it off step backs and, and doesn't really have much hesitation and then did a really good job getting downhill. Um, and, and I also thought Miami did a good job getting their hands in there when, when Fox was driving. Um, and, and then the zone defense that, that Miami pulls out often um, in, I, I want to say it was the third quarter predominantly. Um, the first, a lot. Okay. Kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I think he did an okay job of like slowing Fox down, but at the beginning of the game, Sacramento shots were falling. And that's exactly how you break his zone. Yeah. And Sacramento's a really good shooting team. So it's funny because I saw on Twitter people were like, they're going to try to try out zone today at Sacramento who's shooting the damn lights out. 
it's gonna it's not gonna look good. And, and that first quarter, it was pretty is pretty bad. And I think it, early on, it was pretty clear that Miami like they couldn't contain kind of the Sacramento penetration, right? So they they went to that zone pretty quickly. And one of the things that kind of frustrates me, and I, I guess it's a product of they've got a lot smaller since last season. You know, I'm not the biggest Derek Jones Jr. guy, and I, I I've been I have a very contentious relationship with Jay Crowder, but those were two guys that you could put at the top of your zone because Miami was running kind of an inverted zone where they had their guards in the back and their bigs and wings up top, which really kind of created a lot of turnovers, really made the entry passes tough. It was really effective. And they can't really run any kind of reliable facsimile of that because their wings are smaller now, right? It's Duncan, it's Max Struess, it's Bo Harkless, right? It's, it's Andre playing a lot of four, Andre Godala. So, you know, the zone is just a lot softer. There's not a lot of bite to the zone. And I think that they they get away with it sometimes. But with a team like Sacramento, you know, that they're really good north-south. De'Aaron is obviously a, a damn menace, but he's shooting the hell out of the ball. Um, and, and their bigs were killing them on back cuts, uh, Sacramento bigs. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a tough night for the zone, which is why I'm glad that the Heat just went man-to-man at the end, and they're just like, okay, let's let's play what we're good at. Let's let's switch. Let's hedge hard. You know, let's uh, let's, let's do the stuff that we can do. Yeah, and I think that um, this was a theme that you also saw in the Toronto game. Shots were following early for Sacramento, and then they kind of settled, um, especially in that third quarter. Sacramento only managed 18 points, um, and also Fox sat a long time in that quarter. Um I don't have it exactly in front of me. NBA stats haven't updated yet. I want to say he played the entire fourth quarter, Fox. Um, he did that in, in Toronto okay. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I believe that I he did. So. He did the exact same thing in Toronto. Um, and, of course, the third quarter where he sat a bunch was where penetration was lacking. Um, I have a lineup of Kyle Guy, Corey Joseph, Halliburton, Bagley, and Whiteside. Um, and, man, I have no clue who is supposed to penetrate um, in that lineup. Um <laughs> Halliburton uh, succeeds being a, a secondary playmaker and taking advantage. The way I've worded it is um, he does a good job capitalizing on advantageous situations, but he's not a guy to create the advantage himself, um, which is why he works so well alongside Fox. Um, but in that third quarter, I thought that Sacramento was was settling a bit. And um, I want to ask you, is a Bam Adebayo ISO a common occurrence? Yeah. Oh, we like that. He's lit. He like, I don't know about, I mean, he had a, he's had a tough two games, but kind of coming into this week, he was in the 98th percentile uh, as an isolation player, like 1.4 points per possession as an isolation player. Uh, The mid range jumper was like at 60%. That one dribble pull up was around 55%. Uh, That's, that's a plus play for them. And they oftentimes run a lot of sets to get him that. So uh, this is this is kind of like their little pet play that that kind of bloomed during the the Nets game. They kind of run a little a little screen in the middle of the of the of the paint. So usually like a, a guard or, or Duncan or whatever, they'll they'll kind of set a screen there, and then Duncan uh, Bam will go from right to left, kind of coming to that side on the low block to kind of get a, a bit of a seal and then get a nice entry pass and face up and and kind of decide if he's going to take that pull up or go to the rim. So that's that's a successful play for them. They look for that. Uh, the handoff stuff for Miami has not been as fruitful. Like in the beginning of the season it was, but Duncan's has really kind of struggled. Today was a bit of a relief, 4-7 from three. Kind of, you love to see it. You know, he, he's been, he, he has, he's gone like one for 11 for like the last week. Uh, oh. So today was nice. Yeah, Buddy had a little bit of a slow start. Um, and, and, you know, it's relative for, for these types of shooters. Um, and, 
throughout the last five games prior to this one. I want to say he was at 52% from three um, and kept it up tonight, six of 13. And I could not stop laughing at the one that gave Sacramento a lead. I, I want to say under two oh minutes left. Oh, my God. Where he stole it and then, buddy. yeah, steals it and runs straight to the three point line. Like you knew he was shooting it. I'm so um, proud of him. I was it like, was that's so guts. funny. That was like that felt like a New York Nick play, right? <laughs> yes, it, it's something a Nick would do. And, and I, I was like, no, this. I, I mean, I knew it was going in because as a Heat fan, you just know, like, like that Halliburton three at the end of the half, like, just that, that's the stuff that happens to the Heat. And when Buddy, what that whole sequence didn't like the ball like fly out of Bam's hands. It was really weird. I think Buddy ripped it out. It, it, mm-hmm. it was it was shades of Kirk Heinrich taking the ball away from Chris Bosh in the corner to end the twenty seven game win streak. I was having I was having war flashbacks. <laughs> and Buddy darts and he didn't even dart to the corner. He darted to the wing. And I was like, oh god, this is totally going in, isn't it? Turns around, swishes it. I was like, God, yeah, come it, on, yeah. And that was the one to to give him the lead, I believe. Um, yeah, it was. How do you experience that? I, I mean, like you just know that Buddy Buddy always goes for these sweeps um, of like risky offensive rebounds, and I mean he's not a great defender in the first place, but that definitely doesn't help. Uh, but the times that it pays off like that, uh, definitely, I, I don't know. They make the highlight real, I guess, is a way to say it. And it I, I just totally a, redeem yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I didn't feel great about the shot, but I knew he was shooting it. The second he was staring at the line, the second that the ball got anywhere near his hands on that three Respect or on that, that steal, and, and yeah, you just knew he was throwing it up. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, the way he had been shooting, um, yeah, it's very healed of him for that to go in. Hassan Whiteside right. wishes he could have done that. Like Hassan is watching that play saying, damn, I wish I could do that. Whiteside has some energy played. tonight. Uh, that, that, uh, he played that well. Where he pulled himself up, I was like, oh, man, he's he's uh, a little trying to get some revenge right here. So, like, there's a lot of weird history with him and Bam. Like, there's a lot of people close to Hassan, like friends, cousins, you know, homies, uh, that were part of Heat Twitter that would just completely slander the hell out of Bam when they were playing together. Interesting. Yeah, it it was really weird. It was like Hassan Whiteside stand Twitter was was quite strange. And some of them, even there was one guy that we thought was Hassan Whiteside's burner for the longest time, and it just <laughs> turns out that he was like his friend, right? And, and they, there was this whole thing with him, and and it was just constantly trashing Bam. So I don't know. I don't know what the relationship is there. Um, I, I know that when Wade was here, Dwayne did a lot of mending of fences with, with Hassan, right? He kind of, Wade would invite him out, like, you know, UD as well. Like, they really tried to do a lot. Um, I don't, I think it's pretty clear that Spo never 100% trusted Hassan, um, would often take him out of big games at the end because he just wasn't good in space, right? So, there's a weird history. He's always played well against the last couple of games. Almost like one of them, he almost had twenty and twenty. Another one, he had like ten and seventeen, right? So he's he's always like played well. I thought today he was he was springy. He had a couple really nice rotations, kind of forced Bam into some floaters that that Bam hit. But I thought Hassan made the right play. Had that block on Jimmy early. Mm-hmm. Uh, the putback, as you mentioned, he was he was he was out there. Yeah, it was. Uh, these last two games from Whiteside, I actually thought that. His impact on the offensive end was more than I expected. Um, I, I've had my my issues with him defensively. Um, for a team that is, I, I don't know if they're still at this point, but they were throughout all of last season and a lot of this year in historically bad defense, uh, giving up the highest field goal percentage at the rim. 
Um, you would think that I actually enjoy Whiteside minutes more than I actually <laughs> do, but like you said, uh, defending in space and uh, just not the most disciplined um, has caused some frustrations. But um, Holmes really struggled these last two games who – um, prior to this, it, it had been any minutes that Holmes was not on the floor and it was any other center, Sacramento was getting absolutely killed. Um, and, and Whiteside definitely definitely able was, was able to hold his own in, in this one for sure. I, I, I'm a Hassan fan. I like Hassan. I know he Twitter gets mad at me. I think he was funny. He had a lot of very... Um, heat culturally important vines right those little stupid snapchats that he did <laughs> that i find incredibly endearing um he was a pain in the ass to watch i hated watching him play defense and games mattered but i don't know i'm just happy for i mean i, I kind of i feel bad that he doesn't get like a lot of minutes but i'm, I'm just i'm happy he's still in the league he's a good guy yeah we saw the first minutes uh, i think it's the first minutes at least the first extended playing time of bagley alongside him uh the only bielitsa minutes i feel like we had seen earlier in the year was when whiteside was out there just for like a desperate need for spacing um but marvin bagley has really shown inability to hit a three ball especially in the corner um 7 of 8 from the field for 17 points for marvin is tremendous progress um for a guy that previously was kind of labeled a ball stopper and the offense had to run through him for him to make an impact um, on the offensive end of the floor. I, I think that spacing that he's been able to provide has been crucial and allowed him to get minutes alongside guys like Whiteside. And, and they're pretty much solely playing him at the four now over this, um, this stretch. And we'll see if, if they stick with that um, with a, with a short, pretty much eight man rotation. And actually Kyle guy worked his way into the rotation tonight um, but the spacing that Bagley provided actually Poor allowed Kyle him to some minutes next to Whiteside. Kyle, a guy, has some I, rough calls. I, I, I want to laugh at Kyle Guy in a second. I do want to say about Bagley, I think he he moved really well without the ball, and I thought that was that was that that's the one thing that surprised me today. I was like, oh, nice cuts, nice yeah. movement, like knows where to be. Uh, I know that, that, and I felt I know he hasn't played a lot because he was hurt last season. So like I, I I don't know. He's he's kind of like this mythical kind of fixture in Sacramento big man basketball where like nobody really know what to make of him it's like I think he's good but I'm not like sure if he's good but like he's not bad right like that's always kind of the the vibe around him and I I thought he looked really good today yeah he's only played 90 uh I want to say this is 96 97th game of the career you know he's 21 years old um definitely going to keep preaching patience on here um, and tonight was a, was a solid showing for sure. Um, and then, yeah, Kyle Guy has worked his way into the rotation. Uh, Glenn Robinson was only got about six minutes in that Toronto game after pretty much being the uh, ninth guy in the rotation for a while and was worked out of it. And, and then Kyle Guy was, was trusted from the jump in this one, and I, I thought that uh, you know he, he's solid on the offensive end of the floor, obviously a shooter. I, I think that he's got decent playmaking to him. Um, and then on the defensive end, he wasn't scared to uh, to put his body on the line. He didn't get uh, the most kind whistle, I don't think, but and got hit a couple times. I'm sure he'll feel tomorrow, but I love seeing it. When when Jimmy put his shoulder down uh, in that open court play, yeah. and and he kind of went at him, and he kind you know poor poor guy like flew back. I was like, one, welcome to the NBA, young fella. To Jimmy's lost like 15 pounds and still putting dudes on their ass. I felt bad for him. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can't believe that people said – I think what the broadcast was saying uh, Mark Jones heard uh, from his sources that he lost something close to 20 pounds. Yeah. And it's like well, he doesn't I, really look like it. Oh, I, I know he does. He's he's just – he looks a, little, a lot thinner. Uh, I think it was Ethan Skolnick of Five Reasons Sports that, that said 12. Okay. Um. Yeah, and, and Ethan's really connected to, to the organization. By the way, heat lifer Mark Jones. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, no. Miami guy – uh, has a house up here in, in Broward County. Uh, super Miami guy. Oh, I, I love Mark Jones. Yeah, yeah, Mark Jones, heat lifer. Uh, I, I don't know if he purposefully oh, tries to get heat assignments, but he seems to always be on them because I, I know he's a heat fan. Uh, that dude's great. One, one of the one of the best guys. One of the best guys. His addition uh, to the broadcast has been phenomenal. Um, oh, he's just great. I want to ask you about Vincent, Stockton Kings player. Um, you mentioned him as one of the best point of attack guys, which is kind of more telling of of your options. Yeah, uh, <laughs> let's be clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but but what have you seen from from Vincent? Uh, you know, a a little bit of a sharpshooter, and yeah, what what has he been able to provide for you guys over this last year and and the stretch you had him last season? The best thing. Well, he didn't really play last season. This season, because of COVID and kind of the situations under duress, he's gotten minutes. But the best thing that Gabe Vincent has provided is a lack of Kendrick Nunn. If you notice, Kendrick Nunn was totally healthy, not available today, did not play. Uh, and that's big because Kendrick Nunn's not not a good basketball player. And I'm sick and tired of watching Kendrick Nunn play. Kendrick Nunn is one of Kendrick Nunn is like Trey Young level bad on defense. Uh, Kendrick Nunn is a really bad decision maker on the ball. Kendrick Nunn does have zip. Right, he's a quick guy. Um, he can't bend the defense, right? But he can certainly, you know, attack a closeout because he's really fast and he, he can finish with both hands. So, like, there's there's good in there. But I'm I'm just very out on Kendrick Dunn, right? And I hate to have a conversation about you know Gabe's play in the context of well, that means I don't have to see the other guy. No, uh, is, but it's, yeah, no, you know, I, it's very relatable from Sacramento point of view. Where I'm like, can Kyle Guy just play so I don't see Corey Joseph? And then all of a sudden, Kyle Guy's playing. Wow, you're Corey out Joseph. on Kojo. Yeah, we're I was thinking, I was like, man, I, I would really, I, I was like, I would take a Kojo. You can. I, so I'll this take, is Miami's actually a team that I've looked at. I'm like, if anybody would be interested, but I'm going to tell you, I don't think Corey Joseph is your point of attack defender. The way no, that no, no, built up the reputation. Somebody that's not Kendrick Nunn. Like I, I basically just like scanned the league and I was like, who's not Kendrick Nunn? Yeah. <laughs> it's also like you know I don't, I don't want to get like too into it, but like you know just kind of rooting for a guy with, with that kind of stuff in his past. I'm for just sure. like I, I'm, I'm so done. So done with it. Like you know, we had to deal with it for James Johnson for a long time, and now there's Avery Bradley. And I was like, can I just, can I just have a guy that I can be normal mad at? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, like for, from a basketball perspective, though, like you know, none didn't play in the playoffs last year when it mattered. He was just not good. And if he's not hitting that little pull up, because he's always gonna have the pull up, because he can get to that little pull up real well, that little mid range. Uh, but if he's not hitting that, he's like damn near useless. Like for for the offense that they run, so. Gabe is a good spot-up shooter. Gabe is a better defender, and Gabe can play make some. In, in the G League, you know, he's a guy that got to the free throw line a lot, that, that really shot almost as many twos as threes, uh, you know, in the paint. So I, I kind of want to see Gabe play next to Dragic, Jimmy, and Bam, which, by the way, Dragic, Jimmy, and Bam have only played 28 minutes all year Wow, this season. So, like, whatever iteration of the Heat we're watching is just not their team. They just haven't been they've, – they've been playing from behind the eight ball all season because they just haven't been healthy. They haven't been complete. So, like, their record is a total mess. They're playing 
Max Struess. They, they've, they've thrown out lineups of like Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, uh, Kendrick Nunn, and, and Chris Silva, right? And it's like, how are you winning basketball games like that? You know, they, 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 they took the Nets to the brink with that, and then they kind of petered out after that. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, right. it's rough for them. What? How how has Precious been? Precious was a total crush of mine in the draft, um, but it was him. all about he has to go to the right team because I I could see people looking at him and being like he's a three he can he can play make and I'm like oh god please do not make Precious play make I think he's a five or, or or a four maybe I think he's a big man and in a limited role in the right system I thought that Precious would be great and I thought Miami was an amazing landing spot how have you liked Precious? So I, at first, when they drafted him, I was like, what are they doing? They need a power forward. They need a wing. So I, when they, you know, and we, you know, on Heapy, we've done live draft reactions for, for many years, going back to the Justice Winslow draft. So, you know, we, we have our fair shake of bad draft takes, right? Uh, and, and one of our famous ones was when they drafted Bam, uh, Nikias Duncan, who is a best, was with Heat Beat a while ago, now with basketball news, one of the best people covering the league, uh, said, why didn't, we, we didn't know about Bam. He's like, why did they take Bam? He's like, they could have, they could have signed Epe Udo, right? <laughs> like, like, and, and that's kind of the experience with Heat Draft, because they, they take these guys a little too high, and you're just kind of confused. And we had the same thing with Tyler Hero, and they got Tyler Hero, we're like, on all these draft experts, we had Vecini and all these other people that watch a lot of college basketball that we don't, right? And they explain to us who we're going to like. Never mentioned these guys. And then all of a sudden, the Heat picked this little white dude that dresses nice but has alligator arms. Really you know, close with Tyrese Halliburton, by the way. Both came up at Wisconsin. Oh, Ty- Halliburton's just incredible. But, you know, Tyler, we're just like, what are they doing? Like, right? Like, we, we kind of made fun of the pick. And, we, you know, we had to eat our words. And we, we, we like it. We like making fun of ourselves. Uh, but we weren't going to be burned by Precious this time. They drafted Precious, and I'm like, I don't understand what they see, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing this again. I, <laughs> I trust them. Uh, and I, I kind of talked myself into it because I was like, well, they have Bam already, and they're going to pay him. So I was like, it doesn't really make sense just to, you know, draft the guy so high just to back up Bam. He has ball skill, and I agree that he shouldn't be a playmaker. Like he's not Jeremy Grant, right? Like he has. Maybe he could become a guy like Jeremy Grant or maybe like a Denver Jeremy Grant. But like certainly he's not there. And the Heat use him similar to Bam. They kind of use him to trigger handoffs, which they love doing their little dribble handoffs. Uh, the screen and roller. And, and he's very – he's in a very structured, rigid role. So he's never – they're never asking him to do a lot. They don't ask him to create offense. They don't ask him – to defend a lot. They've asked him to switch a little bit. I thought it was fun in the Boston game. They asked him to switch on to Tatum, which he did very successfully, by the way. Um, they don't play him with Bam. They they go out of their way to play him in space with shooters. Um, and when he's a lone center, the Heat, that's like one of the Heat's best lineups. Like, you know, Precious without Olenek or Bam is like plus eight per hundred possessions or something, right? Or, or they yeah. probably dropped a little bit. I haven't checked in a while, but at some point recently it was like plus eight per hundred possessions. So, it's been incredibly successful. He's leading rookies in field goal percentage because, you know, that's his role. His role is roll to the rim and dunk the ball or shoot layups or putbacks or all that. So we're enamored by him. Um, the upside's there. I do think – I know the free throw shooting is not good, but the stroke looks good. So it makes me feel like at some point he can kind of get a jumper, uh, I hope. <laughs> 
because, uh, you know, kind of, I think ideally you want to play him and Bam together at some point in their careers, right? So that's what you look at. But he's been really good for them. Uh, there are no complaints. Um, he'll, I think, almost certainly at least make a second team all rookie, right? I mean, he's, he's been really good. He's like, the, the, I'm so happy. They did it again. They yeah, found a guy I, that nobody knew. Right, yeah, I love his defensive versatility. I, I think that the the playmaking capabilities are intriguing on offense, but it was just about, like, he shouldn't be asked too large of a responsibility in that aspect. Um, so, yeah, I'm very interested about that. He had that nice little keeper today. Which mm-hmm. that That's the first time he's done that, where they had that little fake handoff, and then he, he went in and he dunked with his offhand. I was yeah. like, whoa, where'd that come from? Hello. Hello. The connections that we have here. We have a Fox and Bam, obviously from Kentucky, and then Kentucky. You know, we have uh, Halliburton and Tyler Hero, uh, both Wisconsin basketball. I think they were on an AAU team together. Halliburton's so good. I, I'm so I, I'm so happy for Kicks fans because they have these two guys between Fox and Halliburton that are just so damn fun. And I know that you know it's it's you guys have gone through a lot of fun players, just with, you know, Boogie and, and all that stuff, but. You know, these guys feel special. And Fox is just, I, I, I love him. I love him so much. He's so damn good. Like, he's so good. Yeah, absolutely awesome pairing. And I'm hoping they get to add one more um, through the draft this year. And, okay, to close out here, um, if it works with you, I'll, I'll give my main notes from Sacramento's perspective. And then maybe you can throw out yours from Miami's. Of course. All right. Um, obviously, De'Aaron Fox, um, 17 points in the fourth quarter, absolutely took over, was able to get to the rim whenever, he, uh, most of the time um, when he wanted in that fourth quarter. Um, I did a great job attacking switches and was just very smart offensively. And I, I absolutely love three of 11 from the three-point line. Um, got to knock down a few more free throws. De'Aaron Fox was phenomenal. I think this is one of the best Marvin Bagley games of his career. Um, a different one, coincidentally, it was a previous game in Miami. Um, but again, 17 points on an efficient 7-8 to is a big outlier for Marvin. Um, and then my other note has got to be uh, I'm Kyle Guy working his way into the rotation, and I'd love to see that be a trend moving forward. So I, I guess, obviously, the fact that Jimmy's back is just a big sign for Miami. The fact that I, I tweeted this the other day, they're like 19th or 20th in free throw rate. Uh, they have the second fewest attempts at the rim. They're 19th in free throw attempts. They lead the league in turnovers and have the 27th ranked offense. Jimmy corrects a lot of that. Jimmy walks in and he fixes their turnovers were way down today because, you know, you have a guy that you trust running the ball. When you ISO more, your turnovers are naturally going to go less. They're, they're going to go down. Jimmy got to the line like 16 damn times today. Um, you know, so th- that really solves the free throw issue. Not that he's going to do that every game, but, you know, reliably he's going to get to the line eight to nine times a game. And he's a downhill threat every time. So those are the three pillars of Miami's offense that have just been in the tank because they're like in the top 10 in true shooting percentage, despite being a craptastic offense, their shot profile is good. They shoot the shots they want to get, right? They're, they're, they're getting the threes where they want to get them. And especially their pull-ups between Hero and Bam are, are exceptional. They're one of the best mid-range teams in the in the league. So they always have, and Duncan too, they always have that extra tier of their offense when kind of stuff breaks down in the perimeter. They can really step in and hit those mid-range shots. So the issue was those three things, the free throws, the stuff at the rim, and the turnovers. And Jimmy really solves all that. So... I don't know if this team's going to be a good defensive team or even a competent defensive team without a trade. I, I do think that they're going to look to do something. Um, but I think offensively, I mean, with the improvements that you have internally from Bam and Hero, Duncan's obviously, you know, he can shoot the lights out. And with Jimmy and Goran, you know, Goran's playing fantastic this year. 
I think that their offense could be like top five in the league here. They were seventh last year. Um, I see no reason why if they're healthy, they can't get to at least top seven. So for me, it was kind of Jimmy playing the way he did validated the concerns that I had. So I was like, this, I kept telling myself, this can be fixed. This can be fixed. This can be fixed. It's all good. It doesn't matter that we're losing to these bad teams, but today felt good. Jimmy really fixed a lot of that. I know it was a close game and I know the Heat and the Kings aren't exactly at the top of the standings. Um, but it were two teams that I thought played a very good basketball game. Definitely. Um, and everybody at Blue Wire does great coverage, yourself included. Uh, Giancarlo Navas, I, I want to give you a second. You got Miami Heat beat Blue Wire. Anything else you got going on, man? Plug yourself a little bit. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at GNAVAS103. You can get all my bad takes, my little stat dumps, my film breakdowns. Uh, if you're interested in heat content, follow us on Twitch. Uh, that's, that's really we're, we're streaming all our podcasts live. We're doing a pre and post game show. Sometimes a halftime show when we feel like it because we're we're streaming a lot. Uh, we're streaming we're streaming like six days a week. So we're trying to give a lot of content for you guys. Obviously, it's always on the pod feed. So Miami Heat beat. Uh, but check out the Twitch page Twitch.tv/MiamiHeatBeat. Uh, our post game show is called Hangover Time. We kind of make it fun and loose. We kind of make it like a bar. You're drinking with your friends. We're talking. We make it really interactive with our listeners and with chat. We have guests on a lot, at least once a week. I know tonight Chris Cody of the Dan Levitard Show is on with us right now. Actually, uh, I'm banned from the post game show. By the way, they banned me. Uh, they say I'm a buzzkill and I I'm too analytical and they just want to have fun. So uh, they they, they run yeah they run rogue over there on the post game show. But I'm I'm on pregame every day and. And we try to make that fun and analytical and smart and we break down film and all that stuff. So check us out on Twitch, twitch.tv slash MIHeatBeat, on Twitter at MIHeatBeat, and myself at GNavas103. Yeah, definitely. I really appreciate you coming on. You do great work. Everybody be sure to follow um, and stay tuned for the second portion of this podcast coming up, uh, recapping the Raptor showing with Louis Zatzman. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. All right, and on this segment, we have Louis Zatzman joining us of the Raptors Republic and multiple other places as well to talk about the Toronto game uh, matchup against the Sacramento Kings. What's going on, Louis? How are you doing? Hey, Brennan. Thank you so much for having me, man. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well. I, I appreciate you coming on. And um, going into the game, um, you know, Sacramento fans, I, I think, were feeling better about a, a historically bad defense after two showings against the Knicks and the Magic, who were not very good offensive teams. And uh, I kind of um, pumped the brakes a little bit and put a little bit of an asterisk that they weren't playing great offensive teams. Um, and that maybe this Raptors one would be a better representation. But coming into it, I mean, the Raptors had been struggling on offense themselves, no? Yeah, the Raptors have had a really rough offensive season, but it's not like their guys aren't un- incapable, you know? Like Siakam and Van Vliet played fantastically. So 124, I mean, what do you think? Is that encouraging for the Kings defense or not? 
Um, I, I mean, I, I don't think the defense won them this game. I, I think it was the offense for sure. Um, it, this was probably about a standard game. It's better than the 144 from the last matchup. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> um, it, to me, it felt like when Lowry, or I'm sorry, when Fred Van Vliet wasn't out there, um, that there was a little bit of a struggle for creation in the first half until Siakam kind of started to isolate a bunch on uh, what are some poor individual defenders that Sacramento has. Yeah, so I'm actually uh, just today I'm writing that very piece, uh, Fred Van Vliet's all-star case, basically. And looking at all the numbers and watching all the film, the fact of the matter is this is his team. Uh, this is Fred Van Vliet's team, more than Siakam and more than Kyle Lowry at this at this point. Um, as you said, and that was that's very astute of you. I mean, his passing at this point is really the only thing that keeps Toronto afloat offensively. They just they aren't able to create two point shots other than through isolation, which Siakam was doing very well actually um, in the second half. Uh, but Van Vliet, I mean, his bounce passes to rollers. He hit Baines a couple times and Boucher once as well. Uh, he's excellent at creating threes. He's in the top 10 of teammate threes attempted off of his passes, top 10 in the league. Uh, Darren Fox is as well, by the way. He's, again, a superstar at that very skill. But just, I mean, when Van Vliet's not on the floor, the Raptors create bad shots. Sometimes they hit them, but they're not good. Mm-hmm. And how big of a factor was missing OG Ananobi, who my understanding has taken, I mean, always been a really good defender, but has taken a little bit of an offensive leap this year. Is that right? Oh, man, so huge. Ananobi for a long time was a uh, a floor raiser, just a solid guy who played great defense, didn't try to do too much with the ball, hit his open threes, uh, and just didn't make mistakes. And that's, you know, that's a really important player to have. And this year, he's still a floor raiser, but also a ceiling raiser. He's taken a little more offensive creation juice, um, some more pull-ups, those side dribble, one dribble threes that uh, Michael Pena wrote an unbelievable piece about last year. That's become probably his best offensive weapon. Great rebounder and chaos creator on defense. Just tons and tons of turnovers. And just without him, the Raptors are missing so much that no one else on the roster really can create. So two games now without OG Ananobi, they they didn't win either, and they just look nothing like themselves without him. He has given Toronto a lot of that sort of infrastructure that they don't get from the rest of the roster. So it just shows on a thin team already, and I mean the Kings similarly, I mean you have a couple great players but in Fox and probably I'd say Rashawn Holmes, uh, a couple good ones and then just not a lot after that. Raptors are similar, uh, and just w- as soon as you don't have some of those good or great players in the rotation, you see it just fall apart. And the way they play, the style, the aesthetic is very different. Yeah, I wish from Sacramento's point of view that Daquan Jeffries was healthy this season, um, which is is a smaller name to uh, other fan bases for sure, but kind of came into his own last season. And, mm-hmm. and Glenn Robinson has seen himself pretty much cut out of the rotation over this uh, road trip, and um, there were a couple minutes. I think he played the very last couple seconds of one of the quarters and then um, about a four-minute stretch in the third quarter just because it's difficult to only run out at eight-man rotation for an entire game. Um, But I I feel like one of the aspects that they missed the Ananobi maybe the most um, was covering Harrison Barnes, who has been really um, reliable for Sacramento this year. And instantly when I saw the starting lineup, 
um, with Terrence Davis, likely the one checking Barnes. I was like, man, I know that, you know, there's um, hesitance for this to be the offense, but Barnes really can, is a good post-up player and can take advantages of mismatches. Um, I, I don't think he forces too much. And I thought that he really was going at Davis a lot at the beginning of the game, um, enough so that, that later Davis didn't play much. Yeah, completely agree with you. Now, Davis not playing much afterwards is actually less about Barnes and more about Davis himself. I mean, for those who've been watching every Raptors game, he just he makes the correct decision on maybe 40% of opportunities. And those chances come about like, you know, five times every possession. You're faced with a choice. And he just so often makes the wrong choice. He bites at pump fakes. He gambles out of position. He picks up the wrong guy in rotations. I mean, his decision-making defensively is just so out of whack. It's so far from what the Raptors expect. And so, I mean, you saw Harrison Barnes get him with pump fakes, with a simple crossover, with moving off ball. And, I mean, look, Barnes is a great player, and I have a huge predilection for bangers. I just I love strong guys who use their strength. And Davis, as you say, I mean, he's just not able to hold up against a guy like Barnes. Combine that with the mistakes, and, I mean, it makes sense Barnes got hot. Like, he's a good shooter. Hitting four threes, that's not out of the ordinary. Um, You know, five assists is probably more than Toronto wanted to give up to Barnes. And that's where OG Ananobi comes in. I mean, no one is going to overpower Ananobi. He guards centers all the time. He's endlessly long, and he very much could have done a, a better job of taking Barnes out of the game. Yeah, the four total made threes, four of seven, when you look at the end of the game for Barnes, isn't an outlier. Um, but three of three in the first quarter and two of them in the very uh, closing minutes there, he ended up with 13 of his 26, half of them in that first quarter. Um, yeah, I, but when you're not being guarded, when guys yeah. aren't closing out, I mean, they close out like four feet away. It's just, if you don't take a guy out of rhythm, he's going to hit his shots. I wasn't surprised to see him hit three in the first quarter. Yeah, and and you mentioned like the um, kind of jumpiness of Terrence Davis, and I think Barnes being a very patient player is yeah. also a, a good uh, matchup for him there. Um, another outlier, though, I will say is, well, Corey Joseph at first. I think Corey Joseph had a very good offensive night um, shooting fun. the ball, and it wasn't – it wasn't anything too crazy. I think just more fell than usual for him. I think he did a good job creating off the dribble. Um, but I, I think a lot of it did have to do with Toronto was very keyed in on slowing down the main offensive cogs of Sacramento, like Fred Van Beat and, and Lowry. Um, I haven't caught enough Toronto games, and maybe this is uh, more of a scheme that they do for most people. But the way that they dig in when players are driving and they are meeting them at the nail there was really taking Fox and, and Halliburton isn't, isn't great at dealing with that and guys like that out of their rhythm. And I think it led to some other guys maybe having a little more opportunity than expected, like Joseph. No, you're absolutely correct. That's what the Raptors do every game. I mean, Van Vliet cheats so far just because he trusts guys will rotate for him. He can recover in an instant. He's, I, I think he's an all-NBA caliber defender. He's unreal. And something the Raptors do that I saw a couple times against Sacramento, this may be very X's and Ozy, but um, when Sacramento runs a lot of uh, empty side pick and rolls, uh, no one in the strong corner, and just so the roller can have um, that open that open space, because if if you can't guard a pick and roll with two players, 
um, which almost no one can. You'll get a lot of lobs and open side. You really can't bring in a third guy in without opening up, opening up really open passing lanes for threes. So what Toronto does against those open side pick and rolls is they actually zone up the weak side. Kyle Lowry does this all the time. You see him sort of orchestrating like a quarterback in the huddle where he says, okay, you cheat in between this guy, your guy, and my guy. And instead of guarding sort of in the paint, he'll actually guard outside of the paint on the side of the pick and roll. So like, you know, 20 feet away from his man and just trust the defense to rotate behind him. That's a, you know, just an example of how much what you say is true. The Raptors do everything to diffuse primary actions, primary offensive players, and then if those secondary tertiary players and actions can create, then they do. And Corey Joseph did that, you know. He was attacking Matt Thomas, attacking Terrence Davis in rotation, and they didn't have a chance against him. Uh, you know, I all Raptors fans love them some Corey Joseph. He's <laughs> still very popular in Toronto. It was fun to see him, you know, score 16. I don't think he was a positive for Sacramento. He gave a lot back on the other end. Um, but, I mean, yeah. uh, definitely took advantage of what Toronto was doing. Yeah, um, that that's interesting, that, that weak side zone. I'm going to go back and probably watch for that. Um, and then another guy that, you know, he gets touted for his defense, um, Hassan Whiteside. But mm-hmm. in this one, I, I actually felt like he was a negative on the defensive end of the floor, which isn't an outlier, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but actually, I felt like most of his impact came on the offensive end, surprisingly. Um, and, and I think it had to do with, you know, lineups of Wantanabe and, and Boucher being the opposing front court. And I'm not a fan of watching the ball get dropped down to Whiteside in the low post and just him make something happen. But... I mean, when those are the matchups, he was really able to overpower them. And I think that um, he, he was more impactful on the offensive end than than most nights because of matchups. Yeah. So I don't know how much you may be aware of this, but Raptors fans saw last night as an audition tape for Hassan Whiteside. Interesting. <laughs> I did not. So, well, the Raptors, the center rotation is a disaster right now. Um, Chris Boucher has played very well, but he is a, you know, he's a bench spark plug. And when he doesn't bring the offense, as you saw last night, and he's sort of overmatched on defense against Whiteside, he doesn't really give you a ton. Aaron Baines um, really doesn't have give the starters a chance to win their minutes. He's just too limited. Uh, and so Toronto needs a starting center. Hassan Whiteside, good rim protector, even though he doesn't give you much else on offense, you know, really big offensive rebounder finishes when others create for him that's what Toronto needs so he may not be you know a star he's certainly not a star but he's better than what Toronto has at the center rotation so Raptors fans are clamoring for a trade for a center Whiteside is at the top of the list in terms of a gettable guy who may not cost too much that is very interesting that is very interesting um from my point of view Yes, I will gladly uh, ship away Hassan Whiteside. Um, <laughs> right, <I>, gettable. <laughs> yes, yes, very gettable in my mind. Um, so the other guy who is intriguing. probably less gettable but way better, uh, Rashawn Holmes. Mm-hmm. So you may not know this. R- Rashawn Holmes is like the wet dream of Raptors reporters right now. Adding him to this team, I think, takes Toronto from a below 500 team to a legitimate like Eastern Conference contender. Yeah, I mean – Yes, I don't think that anybody's going to be fans moving on from Holmes. I think the idea is him re-signing here this offseason, yeah. um, you know, kind of came into himself in Sacramento. And um, But, you know, I, I mean, 
and anything's available for the right price, you know. Yeah, it's Toronto about, lusts for your guys, man. Yeah, that that is very interesting. Um, I, I thought that Whiteside, and maybe at some point I'll, I'll explore these trade talks further with you when I get to play with the trade machine a little bit. Um, I, I thought that Whiteside, though, did get negated um, on the offensive end when Baines was out there, just like someone that was able to match the physicality um, a little bit. And then the home situation, um, his flaw on defense is he's very uh, foul prone, um, as you saw in this game. And obviously Toronto has guys that are that are very good at drawing contact um, in Lowry, Van Vliet. And Siakam had uh, kind of, it looks like his eyes lit up a little bit when one of Bagley or Holmes was guarding him. And understandably yeah. so. I think he did a really good job attacking those and getting Holmes in foul trouble was a very big aspect of Toronto coming back in this one. Oh, totally agreed. It's funny that we had such identical takes from the opposite sides of the aisle, right? That's a that's an interesting thing. But uh, no, I, I totally agree. And just zooming out to Toronto's offense, uh, that ability to drive and create fouls has really dictated whether they've won or lost. Uh, so in this one, they did a good job of it and lost, but that's been rare, actually. So I wrote a piece for um, for 538 recently about how Toronto's driving has really dictated the results of their games. And Siakam especially. In a lot of games, he's sort of fallen out of the offensive hierarchy. He's taken a backseat to the guards, Van Fleet and Lowry. And he's only driven, you know, two, three times a game, not really shot at, at the rim. Toronto, by the way, is setting a record right now for highest passing percentage out of a drive of all time. Last year, they they... Uh, were fourth or third or something in the highest passing percentage. So it's a, it's been a theme for these guys and they just, they don't drive for themselves. They drive to pass. I was going to uh, say, is that a good thing? No, no. Yeah. Okay. That's a factor of having two six foot guards in the starting lineup. Right. Uh, and having Siakam go through this sort of, uh, fits and starts of learning how to be a tier one, you know, offensive leader. Um, but I mean, unless you can drive and create for yourself, you're just going to have trouble creating easy baskets. And so when you get hot from three, you can build a big lead. When you start missing from three, you're going to give it all back. And they've led by double digits in six of their, you know, 11 losses. So it's been a theme. They've Hmm. built big leads, given it all back. And so this game, they drove well, they created free throws. They did all the things that's been problematic for them this year and yet the defense was just such a catastrophe that it didn't matter yeah and just to get this out of the way um there's a lot of conversation <laughs> about uh foul calls from last night's game on king's yeah. twitter and i understand some frustrations um but i actually thought it was kind of rough officiating on both sides and my issue was the consistency i thought it was a very physical game um, and Sacramento, when they play against physical teams, either will kind of crumble or do a good job matching it. And I thought it was the latter in this one. And it just felt a little inconsistent. Um, like Holmes' sixth foul um, was – it was a foul, um, but it, it, I don't know, extending the arm on Siakam. I, I don't mind that one, but there were some like brush screens that you see called a lot more yeah. this year, a lot more this year. But I just felt like it was kind of inconsistent um, was my issue on both sides. Yeah, so you're, I mean, you and your listeners probably will be happy to hear this. I actually think the Kings were disadvantaged by the refs. I have been, I'm so tired of Raptors Twitter and the Raptors themselves just endlessly whining about fouls and free throws and 
It's just this constant barrage of complaints. And guess what? If you only shoot threes, you're not going to attempt a ton of free throws. So the Raptors have just, they just spend all game barking at the refs. And yeah, I get it. You know, Kyle Lowry had a couple texts, both of them questionable. But to me, Rashawn Holmes fouling out is a bigger deal uh, than Lowry picking up, you know, a second tech with a few seconds left in the game. And Siakam and Van Fleet are not very good at creating contact. They're good at manipulating their bodies to sort of get a shot off. They have not learned the skill of how to how to shoot well creating contract. And combining for 24 free throws, I mean, that's a huge win. And some of those free throws were really questionable fouls. I, I don't think they earned 24 free throws between the two of them. So I don't think Raptors fans have anything to complain about from the refing last night. Yeah. And, and you know, there were – there were like – Holmes, I think some of them could have been looked on or could have been uh, looked past. But, you know, most times, like maybe there wasn't contact at the top, but he was still moving his body into them. Like I, they all were fouls. But, I mean, I think there's fouls on every play. Um, yes, and, yeah. and it's just deciding what sort of physicality are we going to allow tonight. Um, so it, it was a little rough. But in the end, like Sacramento really did blow the lead. Um, I, I don't like to focus on, on the fouls. I understand the frustrations. Um, but in that fourth quarter, um, Sacramento managed to have nine turnovers and only 11 shot attempts to Toronto's 26. And part of this is going into it. They had a 13 point lead. Um, they, they were really taking up a lot of the shot clock, every possession. Um, so that's yeah. just going to lead to less shot attempts. Um, but that that is a still a, a bigger de- discrepancy in attempts that I think uh, Sacramento would prefer. Yeah, and what happened there is, uh, just from a Raptors perspective, I know there was lots going on with the Kings in the fourth as well, but the Raptors just stopped playing guys who weren't playing smart. Chris Boucher, who was very foul-prone, didn't get time. Terrence Davis didn't get time. Matt Thomas didn't get time. And Toronto's just solid defenders in Stanley Johnson, Yuda Watanabe, DeAndre Bembry, those three played for the majority of the fourth quarter, you know, two of the three. And with solidity finally in the game, the Raptors were able to make it make it a game once again because they knew that with it yep. with Van Fleet or Siakam, they were going to get a shot. The Kings defense is, well, I'll, I'll let you take care of that. <laughs> and so just letting guys, you know, be solid was what yep. the Raptors needed. And they, they didn't give themselves a chance only doing that for one quarter. Yeah, um, the the matchups that I have at the end here were DeAndre Bembry on Fox, Wantanabe uh, yep. on on Halliburton, which makes a lot of sense. I, I don't think Halliburton does a great job individually uh, creating off the dribble, and there were a couple moments he did take advantage of it, but I thought that was very smart uh, maneuvering from from um, Nick Nurse, Van Vliet on Heald, and Lowry on Barnes. I, I thought was a key one because you saw a lot of these post ups. And again, the patience and kind of overpowering guys and, and Lowry obviously is a, is a good guy um, to take advantage of that. And then Siakam at the five against Holmes. Um, I thought it was really some smart maneuvering that, that you kind of uh, pointed out there from Nurse on the defensive end. Um, and talk to me about Watanabe. Is this like the, the um, peak moment so far of Watanabe's career? Is this a yeah, turning this point? This was his best, best game for sure. But he's just, in a season where Toronto has been defined by uh, cluelessness and miscommunication and lack of effort, Watanabe has just, he never goes less than 100. He's always in the right spot. He closes out hard. He rotates. He sh- moves his feet. 
on offense, he doesn't do too much. He's a good passer, a good shooter. And look, he's not a star, but somebody who just does everything well is a breath of fresh air. It's like you're cooped up in your house, in your apartment, you know, for a year, and then you finally get to go outside to walk your dog. You're hitting close to home right now. Well, that's the point, right? (laughs) That's what seeing Yuta on the court is for Toronto right now, just because in last year, I mean, he probably wouldn't have had a chance to break into the rotation. This year, it's so thin and just so full of foolishness that Yuta just stands out. And so, yeah, they need him right now. And the fact that they need him doesn't look good on Toronto, but good on him for delivering, right? Last last night, what an incredible game from Yuta. Yeah, um, what position is he? There were moments he was out there with Siakam and Boucher. Like, is he a 3-4? Is he a 4-5? No, he is a 3-5. Okay. He plays. So it's like, how you know, remember LeBron was a 1-3? He yeah. never played shooting guard, but he was either a small forward or a point guard. Oh, you know, okay. In his first time in, in Cleveland. I mean, that's what Watanabe is. He doesn't play a ton of power forward, but he plays a ton of small forward, usually alongside, you know, Stanley Johnson and uh, and a big or he'll play center <laughs> because the Raptors, you know, they do put Siakam sometimes nominally as the only big on the court. But generally, when he is the only big on the court, they'll ask one of their wings in Ananobi, Watanabe, or Stanley Johnson to actually switch with him and play that center spot. So that's why those guys, Watanabe um, and Johnson, rarely actually play power forward. So, yeah, Watanabe is a wing slash center. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, he, he's definitely intriguing, and I, I love the effort from him. And honestly, I, I love the hard fouls. Um, some of them, I, I think, frustrated, obviously, some of Sacramento's players. But um, I, I think it's just part of, you know, energy and uh, putting everything out there. And and I'm sure um, that was uh, a it, it, nice to see from the other side and fitting with some of the other talent around him as well. Yeah, yeah, got the Raptors going. That yeah. foul on Whiteside was really like, oh, we're trying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then Whiteside misses both the free throws. That's why you foul Whiteside. Exactly. Um, Yeah, if I had to kind of summarize in a quick way, actually, I do have to mention Tyrese Halliburton, um, and I have to do this every single game with (laughs) with the way that he plays. Um, The hesitation into the dunk was was ridiculous. I I don't know where that one came from. Um, The... The three to kind of ice the game was just one of the funniest possessions because Whiteside missed a wide-open dunk, and they managed to kick out to Halliburton. Um, So, yes, and a career-high 11 assists for Halliburton. It seems like I have to do a little rant on him every game. He was phenomenal in this one, as he seems to be every night. Yeah, he just – so Raptors Twitter is massively in love with Halliburton. Just his coolness – like, on top of being a good player, just his coolness factor is off the charts. It totally is. It totally is. And Sacramento is uh, enamored to have him for sure. Um, but uh, my quick summary of this pretty much would be, I think that Sacramento shot extremely well, especially in the first half. They were 9 of 20 from 3, um, putting up 68 points in the first half on on some really hot shooting and doing a good job taking advantage of early uh, mismatches or at advantageous situations in the first half really, I think, put them at a big enough lead that their offense was able to hold up enough um, to keep up throughout the the second half. And and this was just, I mean, as has been the case for most of the Kings wins, this was an offensive win for them. And, and defensively, um, there were definitely rough moments, especially in the second half. And, and Holmes being in foul trouble really is a big factor there. But 
from Sacramento's point of view, um, this was a good shooting night um, and some unexpected offensive contributors um, with Toronto's emphasis on really taking the star guys out of there. Yep. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think a very reasonable takeaway from the game. Um, A really disastrous performance from Toronto, but let's not take anything away. I mean, Fox was great. Barnes was great. Halliburton, like a good game from Sacramento. Yeah, and I want to ask you, where are you at um, with Toronto right now to kind of close out more generally? How are you feeling about the way a season has gone? Is the focus right now on, you know, you feel like, uh, as you kind of alluded to, maybe um, tightening up or expanding, improving the center rotation would be, and getting Ananobi back really solves a lot? Or where are you kind of at with this unexpected, I think, Raptor season? I think... At a certain point, you're saying, why are the Raptors not playing up to their potential for, for a certain amount of time? You know, and, and there's all sorts of reasons. The driving, the inability to create free throws, the defensive miscommunications. And you point to all of these different things. And there's been some luck involved with opponents hitting hard shots. But, it, I mean, after some number of games, if the Raptors are still below 500, you say, well, this is just who they are. And I am about a week away from that, I think. And it's no longer excuses saying the Raptors are just playing below their potential. And you just have to renegotiate your understanding of the team. And I think that is where we're at. So uh, in a word, not good is where I'm at with the Raptors. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, But the standings are are pretty tight. Uh, I think there's a little bit of a separation at the top, obviously. Um, but but far from out of it, for sure. Um, and, and obviously an interesting situation with their games being played in Tampa right now. Um, Lewis, I, I really appreciate you coming on, man. I'm definitely going to reach out to you and re-explore this center trade talk conversation. Um, I, I mentioned Raptors Republic at the beginning, but you do a lot of other, other work as well. I want to give you a second to plug all the great things you do. Yeah, appreciate it. So uh, freelance contributor at CBC Sports and Sportsnet and 538. Uh, you can find some of my intermittent features there as well as sort of daily stuff at Raptors Republic. I'm on t- a Twitter at my name, at Lewis Aspen. And, yeah, man, thank you so much. This is, uh, this is always a blast. Always really, really fun to sort of chat about different perspectives on games uh, from the, with the guys who are looking at it from the other side. So thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. I, I do really appreciate it. Everybody uh, be sure to follow Lewis on Twitter. It'll be in the uh, Twitter post for this episode as well um you do a great job covering the team man and uh if you enjoyed this episode of the king's post podcast please subscribe rate and review and you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here